Hi everyone, welcome to episode 47 of the Reenactors Ramble and today Andy Jones is absent but we're joined by Austin. So you've probably heard Austin on, uh, Austin mentioned anyway on one of the previous podcast episodes. Um, so I saw Austin's collection about a month ago, okay, yes, think, um, something around that. Uh, and it was just absolutely blown away and completely envious. Um, and it was just inspiring more than anything. So uh, as promised, Austin is here on episode 47 and he's going to tell us all about uh, getting started in the collecting world, um, just about some tips for anybody starting out. And probably most importantly, most interestingly, Austin's um, top 10 or favorite 10 items in your collection. It is, yeah. We've got most of them on the table today. So um, hopefully I can take you through what's uh, most inspired us for kind of collecting all these yeah, um, bits. Absolutely. And, and for anybody watching on YouTube, um, you'll see sort of some nice panoramas and swooping camera shots of Austin's wonderful collection. And, and just feel free to slow that down and pause it and because and, there's some magic in there and you mm-hmm. won't spot it at a first glance so you might need to rewind and watch that three or four times as well and we'll try and put those clips on instagram for for anybody else watching out there as well so so austin where did it all start how long have you been collecting for and, and what inspired you to get into the world of i guess world war ii military collecting well it's been a um, very long kind of um time kind of collecting i think i've been collecting for about 40 years mm-hmm. now so um a very kind of long time um things that kind of really got us um started on kind of collecting is kind of the stories of mm-hmm. um from grandparents and family members yeah, yeah. Uh, as a small child I was always intrigued and mm-hmm. i think got talking to um kind of world war one veterans world war two wow. veterans and i think um as i got talking to them i was only probably about four or five years of age mm-hmm. they would give me kind of um, mementos from yeah, their kind of collections so uh-huh. i think anybody of similar age or older is probably um that's probably how they got intrigued on it uh-huh. so um yeah it's the, the some of the, the the stories that I really remember as a kid, some of the earliest memories, mm-hmm. are kind of cleaning granddad's medals wow. and equally looking for the elusive Luger that he had in the house wow. uh, for years and years and years. And I think it may have been a bit of a rouge of mm-hmm. trying to get me to tidy his house yeah. up, yeah, but yeah, yeah. looking for this um, elusive Luger that did you I never find did it? find. No, I, was no. <laughs> <laughs> I think grandma must have thrown it into yeah. a quarry. Wow. As, um, uh, probably back in the fifties, wow. granddad having it in the house yeah. wasn't wasn't to do. Very lucky. Meeting World War One veterans as well, that must have been absolutely incredible. I think I can't recall ever meeting one really, I guess. I think by the time I was about sort of 18, 19, I think sort of Harry Patch was on his way out and, you know, those guys, that must have been an incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, my granddad, Pop, was a um, World War One um, pilot. So um, I've got all his um, yeah. records from testing planes out mm-hmm. and things like that. So I did a lot wow, of um, wow. test piloting and things mm-hmm. like that. So he was alive as a, as a small kid mm-hmm. um, and re- recounted an awful lot of kind of like stories of stuff that wow. he did and um, kind of had a little bit of um, dimension towards the end. Yeah. But, um, yeah, a fantastic kind of guy. Didn't really get to know some of my um, other grandparents um, who were in the war, my dad's side. Mm-hmm. Um, my granddad had died before I was born. Right. But um, some of his um, stuff that has built kind of the foundation of my yeah. collection was in the RAF and served with um, quite a lot of distinction out in the Far East, India. Wow. And obviously coming back to England, and uh-huh. um, yeah, some um, my dad's obviously bequeathed a lot of um, his items to me. Mm-hmm. But over the years, he's, he's not given me the full collection. There's still kind of medals and yeah. some very, um, I don't know, big mementos uh-huh. still to come. But um, I think dad's kept kept hold of those. Yeah, really. I can imagine. And, uh, I guess you've got quite enough to, to keep you going for now. <laughs> yeah, I guess in the collection. So if anybody watching again on YouTube, you'll see just the vast array of equipment in there and I guess if we're just to run through I guess some of the categories of equipment that you've got within your collection Austin I guess it ranges everything from from bicycles obviously in the background to weapons 
personal items, vehicles, you know. Mm. Um, do you want to just, I guess, give the, the listeners out there just a bit of an idea of just what kind of equipment is in the collection, just as a, a broad overview? Sure, yeah. It's um, anything British Army World War II. I think that's my kind of um, main requisite for yeah. kind of collecting. So it is a very broad collection. I can't really classify myself as a expert mm-hmm. in any kind of field, but I think I know enough about most most kind of items but yeah as, as you say my um I don't know, collection spans everything from the kind of home front yeah. to i know british army mm-hmm. equipment through from i don't know mugs to kind of uh, mines through to grenades <laughs> to gear yeah it's it, down to the smallest thing mm-hmm. like kind of toothpaste yeah. hairbrushes uh up to the kind of big things like you yeah. say vehicles tents uh-huh. trailers um, yeah, yeah the lot really and uh i've still not finished yeah. kind of collecting i think are you ever finished that's a good question well, that was, that was yeah. later, are you ever finished do you think do you think there'll be a day when you think okay i've completed you know collecting now or? definitely not definitely yeah. not and i think um, one of the items we're going to come on to mm-hmm. in a bit is um just a simple kind of wash roll yeah. i thought 10 years ago i'd finished collecting mm-hmm. a wash roll yeah. but clearly once you will get to look at that kind of <laughs> item you'll probably just see um yeah you're never done so mm-hmm. um it's yeah it's 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 wild and kind of crazy yeah. what, what you can collect. And it still amuses um, me of the things that they um, produced for the army mm-hmm. and um, put the crow's foot mark on yeah, and dated yeah. um, even and everything from coal scuttles. I found yeah. an wow. army coal scuttle the other day and I thought, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> where do we end? Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing that everyone's probably noticing there is that there's, there's no sort of US kit in there. Mm-hmm. There's... Um, there's no sort of access kit in there. So is there a reason that it's always been British? Have you never fancy collecting the US? Is that something that you've done and sort of give up? Or? Yeah, um, I've collected First World War stuff um, mm-hmm. for, for many years as a, as a youngster, as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, purely that the Second World War stuff was so abundant. Yeah. It was, I don't know, you couldn't really give it away. You uh-huh. could go to um, surplus shops and there'd yeah. be piles of webbing and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But it was always the World War One stuff was, mm-hmm. was harder to kind of collect. Yeah. So I think that's why I kind of... Um, started there but then okay. I, I don't know the, the transition over to kind of world war Two was i don't know it's a bigger conflict and i think the, the more stories of talking to some of the soldiers of how they got kind of taken from their i don't know everyday jobs and then mm-hmm. suddenly thrust into i don't know being in far-flung parts of the world mm-hmm. and that i think that may mainly intrigued us yeah so yeah. i've um, had a um, a grandparent who was um, an accountant mm-hmm. one day and then was suddenly thrust <laughs> into flying um, Dakotas in Burma Incredible. one day. Yeah. So I think that that was a thing of like yeah. it was a, a bigger international kind of um, yeah. conflict sort of thing. So. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, never really looked back sort no, of thing. No. So, but yeah, I've, I've never really got into collecting American or Axis stuff. I think um, generally with the German stuff, it was always a lot more expensive as a, mm, as a kid to yeah, kind of collect. Yeah. Um, American stuff was, um, I probably didn't know enough about it. Mm-hmm. It was still hard to come by the American stuff back yeah. in this kind of 70s and 80s. It wasn't as abundant mm-hmm. as, as you thought. But you could go to any car boot sale, pick up a helmet, you can pick up, I don't know, granddad's trousers and stuff, yeah. <laughs> antique shops and things yeah, like yeah. that, brick and back places, flea markets and mm-hmm. things. So I suppose it was just easier to collect British stuff than anything else, really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think uh, maybe it's time to dive in a little bit. The, the YouTube um, viewers have had a bit of a good scan around your room <laughs> yeah. now, a good, a good digital route around. And I think it's a good time to sort of dive into some of your personal items. And I must say, as soon as I walked into the room, Austin, I was um, intrigued, I think I would say, mm. about what was in the collection. Because I guess I think people listening and watching will be able to relate in when you often look at other people's collections and what 
you know you wish that you had in their collection or that you you aspire to sort of own i think you look at the hollywood items you know i think for me before a vehicle it was having a vehicle mm. now it's having a motorbike you know it's, it's helmets it's um the gucci stuff as reenactors would say um but quite often if you speak to a big collector like yourself or like a lot of those out there on the circuit it doesn't tend to be those items that are favorite in the collection and i'm sort of starting to get that way myself i've got some small books and personal items that as you mentioned earlier i think in a nice way you try to position this sort of selection of 10 products as 10 products um 10 items in your collection something that you would i guess try and pick up first if the house was on fire <laughs> god forbid that was ever to happen um but it's interesting how you do migrate towards sort of some of those more personal items so, so where should we start in this sort of you know your top 10 yeah. off top 10 favorite items well i probably have to think about kind of a bit more chronological order here okay, yeah. with kind of yeah. uh, collecting but i've kind of I don't know, to your point, trying to pick 10 things out of probably, what, 40, 45 years <laughs> yeah. worth of c- collecting. My God, that, that was probably one of the hardest tasks. And <laughs> we use that analogy of, I don't know, if the house was on fire, mm-hmm. what, what things would you probably yeah. throw out the um, window first to save? Um, but not necessarily the, the items that I picked today are, mm-hmm. are those kind of items, really. Right, but yeah, hopefully yeah. it starts to just bring us into the, the journey of how I got into okay. kind of collecting. Yeah, yeah. So I think the first kind of items um, within the top 10 are really all about the kind of the family kind mm. of connection, the things that really got us into uh, there. So we kind of touched on um, granddad being in the Second World War. Yeah. He joined the RAF um, well before the Second World War and went out into the Far East India and things mm. like that. So very skilled kind of um, engineer. And this was his actually car mascot. I think it's a um, oh, nice. supermarine yeah. um, kind of spitfire for the, the Schneider um, trophy mm. stuff. So um, yeah, I think um, boredom in the RAF kind of um, wow. allowed him to kind of um, engineer certain things. So, so he bot- actually made this himself? Yeah, yeah made, made it himself. It was wow. his uh, hood ornament for uh-huh. his car that served him probably through the yeah. um, Second World War into the 50s. And then it's just really filled with an awful lot of like um, mementos and trinkets and things that kind of dad had given us wow. Um, wow. over the time. So, yeah, some um, of um, my other great granddad's um medal uh, in there as well so just i think this has to be one one of the first things that kind of yeah. really um was important in collecting yeah and, and you've uh, still got family medals cat badges postcards in there just all from personal family members yeah yeah there's there's more upstairs yeah. but i thought i didn't want to bore you with all the kind of um fleets of kind of uh, medals i've got so it has to really start with all the kind of the personal stuff yeah and this is my kind of grandma's helmet that she um, right. wore wow. in grantham during the second world war so granddad went off to um served in the Rimi um, during the Second World War, but Grandma was left at home. She yep. manned the family uh, butcher's shop during the day really? and at night she did wow. a, kind of a lot of rescue kind of work <laughs> and things like that. So it was just one of those kind of items which was kicking around in the, the garage uh-huh. as a kid, kind of put it on. You probably see where Grandad had spilled some um, paint on it at the time. <laughs> but, yeah, just a really nice kind of um, memento from the war and that, that kind of personal thing. And yeah. I'm sure most collectors... And people who are into this kind of hobby, it's probably where they most got started in there. Yeah. So, but it's it's quite interesting. I think I'm sort of comparing it to my own journey and, and how it sort of started. And I think what's amazing, I think what people probably don't appreciate if they're not aware of it themselves, is you know a lot of family members don't. I don't have family mem- mm. um, members' medals. Um, I think the closest thing I've got is my granddad's sort of bayonet, but that was from the fifties National mm. Service. Yeah. I've got a sort of distant relative's uh, tie um, that was, you know, he was a member of the Arnhem Veterans Association. Never met him. He was a distant sort of uncle. Um, so to have such real personal connections, I think from your own family to sort of inspire that collection, I think it probably shows why you've got such a strong 
sort of connection. I guess, you know, it's a fantastic thing to have your own family's items. There's so many out mm. there that just don't know anything about the family's history or have such items such as this. You know? No, I think one of my earliest memories of going to um, a flea market was tables and piles and piles. I'm talking probably hundreds <laughs> of medals, but First World War medals, wow. just piles of them that you could buy for 50p. And you're thinking every single of the First World mm. War medals was was named to That's a man, right, yeah, but yeah. Where, where they all come from is almost... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of like sad in, in mm, a way because is, family members would have probably just got rid of them yeah. uh, over the time or and then it's daughters, sons it? and stuff. Like you that. still see them for sale on sort of Facebook marketplace. I often sort of wonder, like, do you realise what you're giving mm. up here and that you're selling for, you know, a rather modest price? It just seems pretty, pretty crazy. But, yeah. but anyway, should we move on to number three? What we yeah, number three. Num- number three. So I think... I love a story with and a connection with um, items. Now, mm-hmm. I think in the world of collecting, yep. stories and items kind of go together or, I know, dubious kind of dealers kind of put a story yeah. to an item. So probably when you do find that item and you, f- you feel it's kind of a genuine thing, then mm-hmm. they're kind of really important things. So I suppose the the next item on my kind of collection, yeah. it's, uh, I suppose, I want to say a bit of a humble kind of um, uh, cookery, but... Um, this one I kind of found at a, a car boot sale as a um, many years ago. But what's intriguing about it um, is that the the guy who owned it had, had written um, all the places that he served on his um, campaigns. I think uh-huh. generally through the Far East, really. So there seems to be um, it's getting a little bit hard to kind of see and read on mm-hmm. there. But it's just such a for fantastic kind of memento and obviously it looks like it's come back after the war and just was um put on the wall there's Uh probably dad's or granddad's kind of memento that he'd carry through really so what are some of the place names on there well i can see there's a place called spear point um i think there's lots of um places within burma Mm -hmm. and i suppose it's like modern day vietnam and things like that so i don't know um through there but yeah it is intriguing to kind of just um look now i've, I've always taken it as a, a genuine piece kind yeah. of finding things at a car boot sale mm. i don't think i know for i know five pounds someone's yeah, going yeah. to um kind of add all those things on no, absolutely yeah so um yeah just one of those kind Amazing. of nice nice finds really yeah. so i suppose that's um something that really intrigues me from collecting but mm. it was always that as a kid listening to the the soldiers the story. stories yeah, yeah. um and i don't know when you can get something that you don't know who actually owned it. The people who sold it didn't know where it yeah. came from, but it's just some fantastic stuff. But clearly, under a good light, you can probably see a, a yeah. lot of places yeah. um, where it was. I think that's part of the attraction. I often wonder whenever I purchase anything, I, I often sort of go through this daydream of where's it been, you know, from its conception's mm-hmm. birth to, you know, its journey through World War II and beyond, you know, has it been rattling around in someone's loft for 20 years? Mm-hmm. I think that's always part of the fascinating element of collecting. You receive something and, you know, ask the personally purchased from where did they get it from and it's like oh I just found it so and so and you have to wonder you know how it's made its way through its own <laughs> life to this stage but no it's fascinating and one of the other questions I had Austin obviously you've got some quite rare items in your collection and a lot of these items have stories behind them and you know what advice would you give to anybody out there who's is looking at an item which might have a story around that you know do you, do you have to go on a gut feeling is there some sort of research that you can do around personal stories to almost you know make sure those things are semi-truthful or is it, is it just sort of you've got to take that point and take that I risk? don't know I think with any story you've probably got to take it with a bit of um, a pinch of salt mm-hmm. you've got to think about probably the person who's trying to maybe sell it to you mm-hmm. uh, are they I don't know a, a dealer is it is it vested in their interest yeah. to yeah. sell that item with a bit of a, a story now if you're getting it from 
family or a, a, an estate kind of mm-hmm. collection, then yeah. that's probably pretty good. You're getting it probably mm-hmm. firsthand. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think uh, over 40 years, I've only got a very small part of the collection with the story mm-hmm. outside of probably um, family connections, uh-huh. really. So I think as we kind of move into some of these other items where, I don't know, firsthand I've, I've picked up um, the Fairbine um, Sykes uh, mm-hmm. knife, and that came from um, a friend's uh, family friend's farm. Mm-hmm. So it was languishing in um, a tumbled down barn of wow. all places. So um, roof had gone, mm-hmm. ivy kind of um, climbing all over the, the Welsh dress mm-hmm. of the walls and things like that. Rain was was, was definitely coming in. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I spoke to the farmer. Um, the farmer had been used by the Home Guard, by the Auxiliary Home Guard. Um, so mm-hmm. I think they were the stay behind yeah. Um, yeah, Home yeah. Guard if we kind of capitulated the yeah. Germans had invaded. Yeah. They were oh, the kind last of, chance. Yeah, really. last, last chance. Um, so, and this was part of a bit of a, a cache of mm-hmm. um, items they had. So um, I'd gone with, hopefully, um, I don't know, a day look, looking around the farm and mm-hmm. seeing potentially what might still yep. be left there. He said, oh, I think I've got granddad's old knife in the um, barn. I thought, okay, this is a, sounds, yeah. sounds interesting. Romp, we took about five minutes to get into the barn. He got to the back, uh-huh. opened up uh, the Welsh dresser, Door and uh, handed me that and said, um, "Okay, wow. <laughs> trying to give that little, um, little show to the camera. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, interesting piece. Yeah. So haven't done anything That's to kind of uh, clean it up. But he'd said that uh, as a kid, he'd, the, the farmer, um, not the um, the uh, the owner of the knife at the time, um, had kind of played with it and mm-hmm. was aware of, of it there. But yeah. I think probably for the probably last um, probably forty years, it just languished in this um, wow. barn." in a, a kind of cupboard, really. But um, there's a whole host of things that came along uh-huh. with this knife from there was Everest carriers, first aid boxes, wow. trip wires, pressure switches, trip, trip wires, <laughs> the whole um, shebang, really. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, it's quite indebted to kind of get that. So. Yeah, because, I mean, the so-called sort of commando knives is, the, is the very much known and sort of very coveted pieces in, mm-hmm. in anybody's collection. So to find one in, you know, in that sort of state, in a, in a barn sort of thing, I bet you couldn't believe it. Though. No, not, not at all, <laughs> not at all. So, um, yeah, it's sort of, um, I didn't know if he was going to sell it to me mm-hmm. kind of um, at first, but, um, yeah, it kind of readily came around to the um, thing. But obviously it's a, a cherished kind of item. And, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I'm going to obviously do some further research mm-hmm. and probably find out what's yeah. um what base was. I'm obviously not going to give it away where, where this one came from. <laughs> no, no, definitely yeah. not. We'll be giving away none of those <laughs> yesterday. But again, another story attached to it, you know, that, that idea, the the home guard, the traps around it, it just it's, it's makes the item so much more desirable, I think, for me, when you, you understand that story behind it. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and I think you've always got to sort of I don't know, use your imagination a little bit as well with some of these items. Yeah, and I, I don't know, let, let's say uh, I'm in my 80s and I, I decide to sell these um, items on as part of my kind of and the um, retirement funds oh. and things like that. How do I pass on a story sort of mm-hmm. thing? Because then I will be seen to probably, know, as a, a bit of a dealer uh-huh. to say, this knife came from such and yeah, such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will somebody believe me? So yeah. um, I suppose hopefully with this um, kind of clip, <laughs> it's down that for prosperity, but it's still kind of fresh. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to come on to that a little bit later because I've got lots of questions about, you know, what happens in collections later down the line mm-hmm. and, you know, about collect, uh, completing collections and, you know, when the end of collecting happens and all that sort of stuff. So we'll dive back into that a little okay, bit later fine. on as well. Yeah. Um, well, the, the next item we've got, and I know it's probably one of your um, it is, yeah, personal yeah. kind of favourites, mm-hmm. is a, I suppose it's a humble tin of um, cigarettes, really. So 99% of the time when I bought these, the tin's always been 
kind of empty, yep. n- nothing to do with it. Lovely tin, great tin to have as part of the kind of collection. I've got a few empty ones in much better kind mm-hmm. of nick than this. But when I bought it, it came with um, a nice little kind of, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, card on the back. So I don't yeah, know feel free to bring that right across. Yeah, yeah I see that. Really, but um, it's a personal memento from um, the Normandy invasions, really. So somebody was issued with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the guy had obviously taken time to kind of write his little bit of his escapades just on a, a simple kind of, um, I don't know, um, label on the back, really. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if it was done at the time of, um, for D Day or if it was yeah. kind of done after, really. But, um, yeah, it's a kind of a, a cheap pickup. So you kind yeah. of take it as a, hopefully that's fairly genuine just for the price. Yeah. And, uh, the nice Incredible. thing is it's also uh, contains the, the cigarette. So <laughs> I think the guy obviously maybe not been a smoker, mm-hmm. um, and just, had something to um, be of a, of a memento, really. Yeah. But I suppose as you you do get out there mm-hmm. looking around, you do do see these um, mm-hmm. do see these items mm-hmm. with I know notes and things on, really. But yeah. um, I don't know if it's something it's that can it? be faked uh, over the time. But um, I, who I, knows? I yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm an eternal optimist. I like to sort of um, have my sort of rose tinted spectacles on and mm-hmm. believe that it is. But you know, I think sometimes you look at them, you get you get this this feeling. I mean, you look at the, the terminology. The word sapper, you know, it's obviously an endearing term for Royal Engineers that they use. So the number on there, it, it feels to me like, again, you'd have to be a little bit far-fetched. It's not sort of perfectly written. It's stuck onto the side, you know. It's almost like if you're going to fake it, I think sometimes it's, it's things feel a little bit too good to be true, if that makes sense, yeah. you know. And I think if I was paying hundreds of pounds for it, then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd be taking it very much with a pinch yeah. of salt sort of thing. You'd probably be, I don't know, doing DNA tests yeah. and uh, <laughs> things on, on the label and things like that. Yeah. And I do know with some kind of collectors that they get down to kind of microscopic detail and see if things are genuine. I know mm. with kind of um, I know, uniforms and things like that, you can look at stitching under certain yeah. lights yeah. and it'll tell you if it's a modern stuff there. But yeah. when you're paying any, I know, a few pounds of things mm. under £10, yeah. I'm, I'm taking that some of these oh, things God. are kind of God. genuine. Just a, an empty tin alone can sometimes go for... Hundred pounds, probably yeah. with the cigarettes, two hundred and fifty pounds with the cigarettes in. Yeah. So something that's under a tenner with that, yeah. I think actually, maybe it, maybe it? genuine, but um, price a couple of beers yeah. or, or whatnot. And you know, I think the lots of the listeners and watchers out there will be cursing you right now. I think for <laughs> some of these purchases for under ten pound. But again, we're going to come on to this a little bit later on to how to find your own very, you know, uh, your own diamonds in the rough um, mm. for, for under ten pounds as well. It's a bit yeah. like um, what's that man called Martin Lewis? As he called them, yes, man, yeah. like the collecting man of the region. Yeah, we can come on to some um, top tips. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> how, how to uh, play the game. So yeah, item. What's this number? <laughs> One, two, three, five. Now. Number five. five yeah. Number five. Okay, lucky for So um, I collect a lot of kind of. Home front um, items. Now, this is probably, um, I'd love a tank collection, but this is probably as far as I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get on my kind of um, budgets. But um, yeah, I've got a great um, range of kind of these home front um, tanks, which are probably made for the kids during the war, probably just after the war by uncles, uh, granddads, and things like that. So a lot of these tanks are made from know, leftover pieces of wood. Mm-hmm. Some, some are fairly naive, some yeah. are, are pretty good. So this tank is kind of modeled on a home front um, piece, but it's it's a little bit more than that. So you probably just see that it's um, been very well kind of engineered and yeah, considered. Bike chain, yeah, bike, yeah, yeah. bike chains to make the tracks, the camouflage is pretty convincing. The, the details um, on the tank. I'm enjoying the front as well, the unit markings as well. Yeah. Anyone can see those. But what it came with when I bought it, um, again, a bit of a, a story. So... 
Um, it says, um, a replica of a tank made by members of the Duke of Wellington Tank Regiment stationed in Brazenworth Hall during the war. So it must have been kind of idle hands kind of yeah, set yeah, yeah. to um, use. It may have gone back for a son or a, mm. I don't know, um, wow. a nephew or something. Churchill Tank, is it modelled on, I think? Oh, I'm not too sure. There'll probably be some kind of members on there. But yeah. I think, yeah, every sort of tank is... Kind of naively done, but this one definitely looks like it is uh, modelled on a bit of a, um, a correct tank. It's mm-hmm. lost items along the way. It's yeah. had uh, aerials and something on the back for maybe um, replica fuel tanks or exhaust and things yeah. like that. But just such a, I know, yeah. yeah, intriguing item. So there's not many things I'm allowed to have um, around the house, <laughs> and um, you probably see that everything's shoved in that, that um, room. But oh. this is an item I'm allowed to have by the side of the bed. So, but. It's with the kind of the story yeah. as well, but um, yeah, it's one thing I, I just kind of like. It's the, the ruggedness of it, the kind of maybe naivety, but mm-hmm. I don't know, no, the considerations of it. But. It's great, and it's the difference. And I think this, these are things that I would prefer to collect over. I mean, you know, as much as a uniform and whatnot has, of course, you can wear it, you can put it yeah. on it. It's very a military sort of item. I think I, I connect with the person a bit more on these levels. Of, of course, with a uniform, you think who's wore it, but. I think when you've got a story such as that and, you know, the memento that's come with it in the postcard, you start thinking about, well, what happened to the guys? Did the guys mm. sort of make it through? You know, who made it? Who did they make it for? Um, and I think, again, you just you imagine what sort of situation they're in, that social scenario where they just are passing the time, you know, and doing some leave. What mm. were they doing? And it starts to sort of get the old cogs turning a little bit, I think, more than perhaps just a, you know, a pair of boots to us. A pair of boots is a pair of boots to a certain extent. I think there's a lot more intrigue and interest in, and some of these items and maybe hopefully we're inspiring some of the reenactors out there to sort of extend their collection <laughs> beyond, you know, weapons and helmets and, and, and the like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so tanks, um, another part of my kind of a collection, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd love a real one one day, but uh, oh. maybe if I... I was about to say, if you just sell up everything, you might be too far away, Austin. Yeah, probably not too far away. Um, but I think as, as I've been collecting so long, um, you tend to see a lot of the same things. You kind of, go to a lot of the shows, mm-hmm. kind of get a little bit bored of seeing the same things. Mm-hmm. And I don't really collect um, 10 of everything. I'd like yeah. to have one nice example and yeah. then get something else. The garage has a different yeah. story. Austin. There's yeah, about 20 of certain things in there for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of, um, I don't know. But then I really wanted to kind of get, collect some um, special stuff. So mm-hmm. you probably see, I do um, sell items but i tried to make my collecting hobby self-funding yeah. so um i don't know you you often go to shows you, you, you see something i don't know for five or you think yeah. i can sell that for tenner but it helps to fund the course, habit yeah, and yeah, obviously as you as you collect and get further further into the um the black hole of mm-hmm. collecting you, you realize that you do need some um specialist um bits and so um, yeah, as, as we come through, we'll probably come into a little bit more of the, um, more expensive product, mm-hmm. um, products, um, bits that I've bought yep. over the years, but it's kind of that, I know, fulfillment of, mm-hmm. of collecting. So we'll move on to some rarer bits that I've, um, kind of acquired over the time. But, um, the next one is, um, a Heinz mock turtle, um, soup. So these were kind of issued, I think, from kind of D-Day. Uh-huh. And I'm sure people, some people make characters, um, when they came in about, this was a, a self-heating can of um, soup. Wow. Um, so kind of, I think, dated from about um, 44. Mm-hmm. It was a kind of, you pop the top off, there was a, a candle in the center, uh-huh. you lit that and it would wow. heat the soup. Wow. Now, I think mock turtle soup has survived over the years <laughs> because 
it was probably one of the least favorite um, <laughs> flavors kind of um, available. So um, back in probably 30s, 40s, and mm-hmm. before that time, turtle soup was was obviously a, quite a popular yeah, yeah. Um, I know, dish. Uh-huh. And um, turtle, if you've ever had turtle, is um, the meat is slightly green. Uh-huh. So um, obviously to make mock turtle, um, mm-hmm. obviously they could get um, turtle um, back in the, the, that time. <laughs> so they kind of um, use uh, offal um, and offcuts, but also kind of coloured it green to yeah. give the, the mock the turtle of it, yeah. side of things there. So um, it's still got all its contents. Um, God knows what it'd be like so after. A shake next to yeah. the there we go, folks. <laughs> yeah. um, it has slightly bulged as well, so I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. I'd yeah. probably say probably in the next 60 years, 70 <laughs> years, that will probably be empty. Um, but kind of an incredibly kind of rare item. Yeah, I think yeah. food things tend, uh-huh. tend to be the, the top of collecting rareness because Completely. they just didn't survive. So yeah. when I saw this opportunity, I thought this is um, – I know something I need to get a hold of. So you pay pay over the odds um, for it, but it's just one of those things that I know you are quite proud of um, having in the collection. Absolutely. So yeah, um, mock turtle soup, really. So um, maybe we might get around to opening it one day and we'll uh, <laughs> yeah, give, it, give it a bit of a road test. Okay, so what's uh, what's under this little canvas here, Austin, for, for number for number seven? Yeah, number seven. So um, I think this is probably one of my luckiest finds um, from years of kind of collecting. So uh, I bought this on a bit of a whim. It was a um, down at Chatham um, dots. They do a big um, show monthly, um, mm-hmm. kind of um, military affair. So it's good. What four hundred mile round trip yeah. is a good two days kind of commitment to get down there. So, um, but. When you've kind of played the game and mm-hmm. you, you do the miles and get up early, you sometimes are rewarded with yeah, something so. kind of rare and um, interesting. So this is a air portable, 1944 dated um, anaesthetist um, <laughs> kit. So it's, um, yeah, I think there's only, there's very little information uh-huh. about it on the, the internet. I think there's one in a museum and right. this is probably the only other one that... Um, kind of know of really so yeah it's um i don't know if it's associated with um airborne kind of troops it's um, a very heavily padded pack uh yeah dated 1944 it's got all your kind of usual l straps to uh-huh. fit on on the um the back but yeah a, a guy would carry this um probably part of the royal army medical corps and it was to anesthetize um troops um in the field for kind of um operations and things so yeah there's all, all the kind of um masks and things to uh, put on uh, wow. lots of little um, um instruments and um stuff. And for anyone that is you can't necessarily see because you're you know you may be listening or you can't quite see on youtube you know just in this front plate here there's a lot of instructions we've got uh, eso chloroform apparatus servicing instructions uh, to pack for transport so, I mean, and it's absolutely perfect condition. This must be mm. unissued, do you think? Um, it, yeah, it's a little bit hard to tell. I think after probably 70 years, um, some things have uh-huh. probably got a little um, perish. But it looks like it, it probably was um, uh-huh. used at some um, yeah. stage in its life, really. So if that was um, wartime, probably um, just after the war. But, uh, yeah, fascinating kind of piece mm. of kit. It was just got to the show early. Um, it was just on the floor. Mm-hmm. Excellent price. Uh-huh. Bought on a bit of a whim. I, I didn't really kind of know what it was. Yes, it's a little bit self-explanatory, yeah. but it's kind of the days before you had the internet. So yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of, okay, what, what am I buying here? Uh-huh. I'll 
take it back and probably ask somebody. Yeah. Uh, I can't Google uh, any any stuff like that. So I think that's been, been one of the biggest things, kind of um, yeah. transformation of collecting over the years, uh-huh. the, the support from the internet when you're live. Yeah, that's somewhere yeah, you yeah. could put that information in now and uh, you probably get a whole host of things away. to kind of tell you what it was but um yeah it's probably one of the things i kind of i don't know i would be throwing out the window mm-hmm. in the fire um very <laughs> fairly uh, quickly we won the definitely one of the first items but yeah incredibly rare yeah. sort of thing i mean I, I never even knew this sort of thing existed so to have it in your collection must be fantastic <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah we've done a kind of um, a few shows with it really but mm-hmm. being as a collector don't get to show these um things off yeah really so um yeah it's, it's kind of languishes in a um darkened room yeah all wow. kind of locked up really but um yeah it's great to talk about it and yeah. um, show yeah. it off really it's great so. to see it i mean that was one of my questions that was going to come later on just in terms of sort of collecting and i don't know about you but I, i'm sure a lot of the listeners can resonate how you, you sort of you vibe for something you want something you, you might think that's the next thing on your list or you see it and you think i must have that and i often do it and then as soon as i sort of purchase it that desire to own it goes away very quickly mm. you know it's within two hours the the novelty to an extent has worn off it's in the wardrobe or it's it's such a rare item or it's such an expensive item i want to take care of it it goes in a wardrobe it goes in you know goes somewhere safe and i don't really get it out and i often sort of consider and think am i am i crazy you know i spend all this money on things and <laughs> time searching for things and traveling to purchase things and then i buy it and i shove it under the bed or you know do you find yourself doing a similar sort of thing with some of the rare yeah. items in the collection yeah definitely i think um being such a kind of a prolific um collector hoarder um mm-hmm. is that even when you're coming over tonight kind of um, sorting a few things out like i was finding things that i've forgotten i kind of yeah. bought i've just kind of um laid in in the room or put in a box uh, and i think that's one thing for me is like where i'm very envious about kind of reenactors um i know i'm a really kind of a collector here i've dabbled a little bit with kind of mm-hmm. reenacting but i think with reenactors you, you get to show off yeah, do, yeah, the yeah. kind of quality items uh-huh. and things like that i love going around the shows and everything's kind of on display yeah. and people are very kind of knowledgeable uh-huh. and I, I think this is hopefully a little bit of a platform to for me it's not kind of putting it out at a show uh-huh. but showing some of these items yeah, is uh, yeah. Yeah, great to great to do really absolutely so uh, yeah, and I suppose sort of any collector of kind of military stuff, you get that brilliant pong um, of uh, <laughs> items. So yeah. just opening this up, and well, ladies and gentlemen, you can't kind of smell <laughs> it, but you've got that kind of a uh, perishing rubber smell. Yeah, yeah. You've got deteriorating kind of leather and just must from mm. um, there. So I suppose if you could smell this now, you'd oh, probably smell how I'm sure the, the rubber's deteriorating. Take a, a good guess of that. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. I think everyone needs that sort of fix of a smell daily. Than what you better walk into the room just on a morning or a night. And- mm. Just sort of smell the aroma of canvas and <laughs> rubber, <laughs> as you mentioned. Yeah, so I don't know how much longer it's got some of that rubber, but um, I'm sure um, we, we might find a way to preserve it in the future. But, Fingers crossed, yeah. yeah. A great piece. Definitely. Another one. Definitely. So, yeah, what, what number are we up to number now? Number eight now. N- number eight. So I'm going to go with um, another lucky find, really. Mm. So I suppose uh, I've always collected webbing, and I think from an early age mm. I was, uh, was buying webbing because it was fairly cheap you could yep. get it for five ten p uh-huh. um car boot sales you get a pouch and mm-hmm. you didn't know quite of what you were buying is always missing stuff back then yeah. but i think when i started collecting webbing um like 37 pattern was probably still being used by mm-hmm. the british army so yeah, yeah. um not always readily available to come by but um probably into the 80s there was a lot more of the 58 stuff mm-hmm. being um worn and issued so a lot of um webbing was released to the army surplus places mm-hmm. and I had you you could just go wild of collecting mm-hmm. um webbing so yeah. yeah i kind of used to film my boots as a um a kid but the things that really intrigued me were 
Um, cause there was a lot of unissued kind of webbing. So that didn't really float yeah. my boat just now, but, um, back then it, it didn't, but I always went for the, the Blanco did the used looking kind yeah. of equipment because again, it looked like it had a story mm-hmm. to tell. It could have been used during the war mm-hmm. or, or after, but, um, and I think this is probably one of those just kind of nice looking finds mm-hmm. you just get to, um, find in a, a pile of webbing. Um, I think I bought two of these, um, at the time, they were just kind of languishing in with the other kind of webbing. I didn't really know they, they were fairly rare uh-huh. back, back then. I had an RAF blue one and um, the uh, kind of um, um, army version. But again, I, I most people kind of recognize these. It's the, the holster for the um, Colt um, 1911 or the, the Browning. So uh-huh. it didn't hold the Browning uh, mags, but um, clearly this one, does, <laughs> they, yeah. they do fit in there. So yeah, just a simple piece of kind of webbing kind of quite rare now, quite yeah, kind yeah. of valuable, but um, just right time, right place. Mm-hmm. And there's still people kind of finding these in big piles of webbing mm-hmm. and still to this date, really. So yeah. they're really kind of available. But uh, yeah, such a, such a nice piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really. um, so I'm hoping I'll find another <laughs> another few before I kind of get too long in the trust, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that has to be, yeah. Webbing is a big part of my collection mm-hmm. and that probably is the kind of, I know, the crowning glory the of bit, collecting yeah, with yeah. it. Got loads of rare other pieces, but mm. I think that's a, my favourite. Amazing. So that'd be definitely thrown out the window. Um, <laughs> in the fire. We have to smash the windows, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably put it in your pocket, to be fair. Yeah. Number nine? Number nine. I think we're going to have to move this out of the way and then um, move in the uh, leg bag. I'll drop leg bag. So the other one's heartbeat start going as soon as you put the leg bag there. Uh, I suppose, again... Of the holy grail of, of collecting for mm. airborne um, equipment. Now, I've been collecting 40 years. Mm. I've never seen one really come up for sale until a few years ago. So it was, it was my birthday. Mm-hmm. I thought this doesn't, I think I kind of come to the conclusion that they don't come around every day. No. It could be another no, 40 no. years before yeah. I even get the opportunity. So, um, yeah, I, t- I took it upon myself to um, jump in the car, do a good um, 600 mile round trip, uh, and then, yeah, get, get a, um, a leg bag. So, this is a um, 45 dated, I think it's uh, an Australian one. So, it's not, um, if it had been a, I don't know, a 44 one in British, then uh-huh. um, yeah, it'd been a, a real kind of doozy. But still, it's um, a bit of a survivor. It looks like to be kind of unissued. Yeah, um, it's perfect. Yeah, I had a lot of the other um, parts to kind of, uh, to the, the the bag so uh-huh. kind of the sliders and things had them in my collection yeah. for quite a few years but mm-hmm. yeah just kind of a good opportunity to add something um, yeah. nice to the collection really but i suppose you see gucci handbags and things that go for quite an expensive Absolutely. price yeah. this was a yeah. uh, one of those kind of bit eye-watering moments uh-huh. but um yeah i had it kind of all verified because i suppose as collecting when you start getting mm-hmm. into some kind of i don't know high price points you mm-hmm. want to know that you've got something authentic because there's yes, nothing worse absolutely. than being and know stung with a yeah yeah um, yeah an expensive bit of kit that's Especially not sort of an issue and it? it can look almost to to degree a good mm-hmm. reproduction you know there's some great reproductions on the market that people make steve kiddle pegasus you know there's, there's people like that that can make such authentic looking items like you, you, i think it, you, as you mentioned when you get to that a four, sort of four digit mark on a lot of kit you, you need to make sure that it is the right the real deal because mm-hmm. otherwise you can you can certainly get stung, or you can be making a fantastic investment at one of the two, and I guess it's only prudent to make sure you're, you're doing the right research. Yeah, so lots of photographs went off to um, kind of Michael Clements. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So one of the biggest uh, airborne kind of dealers say, oh, mm-hmm. can you verify this? Yep. Getting letters from the owner and, and yeah. things like that. So yeah, kind of once you've got a little bit uh-huh. reassurance behind you. Um, but um, yeah, so it's yeah one of those kind of um, good yeah, things yeah. to kind of find, um, yeah. trying to keep the moths off the, the felt in the bottom. Yeah, yeah absolutely. A, a different kind of matter. <laughs> what do you keep inside it? Uh, just kind of, um, I don't know, just some um, rags, kind of cloth yeah. at the moment, just kind of bulk it out. <laughs> a little it bit. Right, it yeah. was kind of flat pack for quite a long time. I thought it was a bit of a shame to not show it off to its yeah, full yeah. avail, really. But um, it kind of hides the very back of the collection yeah. and um, yeah, it should be a little bit more kind of prominent. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those little bit more extra- extravagant kind of buys. But, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah. Amazing rare piece. Yeah. Great. Yeah, and, uh, and last but not least? Last but not least. So this is really encapsulates everything about what I do for kind of collecting. So I don't go for, um, let's say, collecting 10 of one type of thing. I just like to get a, a broad collection and then try and make things kind of complete. Yeah. Now, I thought I'd completed a, an army um, soldier's kind of um, or a wash roll years ago, years ago. But um, this, you probably can't quite see it, in, is a very busy, very full um, kind of army wash roll. Now, mm-hmm. it's nothing that an average soldier would have kind of collected, mm-hmm. but it's just that over years you kind of think, oh, I'll, just, I'll buy a different type of razor. Yeah, something yeah, like, okay, two types of army razor. Um, one from kind of um, 1943, then there's a uh, Indian army kind of mm-hmm. razor, and possibly they could have, um, the soldiers could have carried two types of those. Mm-hmm. So it's... I kind of built a, a kind of a, a very um, detailed collection up of just a general army kind of wash roll. But I do love equipment. I like yeah. small items and things like that um, over a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, yeah, it's just kind of um, one of my kind of favorite items, really. But yeah. that is probably looking at a good, I think, 30 years of kind wow. of collecting to, wow. to get a wash roll. Something yeah. fairly kind of um, simple. But over the years... Um, I don't know, you, you slightly find a, a better dated spoon or slightly better condition, so you kind of swap yeah. it over. A kind of the, the holy grail of um, <laughs> collecting is getting a, um, a wartime dated knife. Uh-huh. But if you do really kind of search through, I don't know, I say grandma's drawers, or you do search through, um, I don't know, tons of um, cutlery, uh-huh. you, you do find them really. Uh-huh. So kind of a 5P purchase from yeah. Carbo itself, 1940 dated. Uh, kind of knife and then yeah family members just bequeath their old kit bags and uh, locks and things yep. like that and yeah just kind of find the period soaps and um, toothbrushes and yeah. things kicking around but yeah it's looks something simple but it's, it's probably a good 30 years worth yeah. of just building Completely. on that really so I it's original you know I think a lot of people these days will, will turn to quality reproductions or whatever they might mm. find I guess for using the field but uh, it's very rare that you would see the soap, you've got the toothpaste, as um, that matches, I think you've got in there yes, as yeah. well. You've got everything and more. Is that a lighter that you've got? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, um, Crows for lighter, yeah. of course. Everything's got that on. So, you know, and I think it, it's rare that you would see all of this original together with the, like I said, the soap. You just, you just wouldn't usually find that. So it's. Uh, yeah, and, and I think a, a soldier would have probably only had what, um, four or five probably items within yeah. that. So it does no way uh, represent what um, a soldier would have kind of carried, but yeah. it just shows you the the wealth of, um, I don't know, items you can kind of uh, collect. Yeah. Even to, I know I said I don't collect variations of things, uh-huh. but just to the simple kind of button sticks, you've got a yeah. brass one and you've got a, um, 
I suppose I don't know if it's Bakelite or um, early, early right, kind of form okay. of uh, classic, but right. yeah, maybe it's just um, brought in uh-huh. um, to um, ease brass um, production and yeah. things like that. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's very simple, but it has taken me uh, an awful um, long time really, even down to the um, wartime towel things mm-hmm. like that. So yeah. yeah. I've always had a kind of 45 dated ones, mm-hmm. 44, but I think that's a 1940 dated yeah. towel. So wow. it's, it's taken some finding. Yeah. <laughs> so we're sort of seeing a different end of the spectrum to what we, we often talk about on the podcast. We talk about, um, you know, the, the first airborne screaming beagles or, you know, chairborne kind of mm. guys that are, you know, will go out to soldier fortune and spend a couple of hundred quid on a catalogue uniform, mm. fill the small, not small packs, their red, the mizet bags or whatever it is with, a towel, you know, I just bubble wrap to try and pad it out. And then you've got the opposite end of the collection here, or the opposite end of the spectrum, sorry, where you, you know, you've got these original items and everything is, is perfect. It's original, it's pristine, it's correct, it's dated. You know, we've got complete two ends of the spectrum here, which I think is, you know, it's great to, to almost try and inspire some of those people. I was terrible years ago with, with sort of, if I had a, a bag or something, I would very much just fill it with something just to do, mm. you know, that'll do. And now I'm sort of like, that won't do. If I've got, you know, a smock, then I need the pockets to be filled with what the smock would have been filled with. You know, even though the public aren't going to see that if I'm at an event or I'm taking some photographs, but for my own knowledge and comfort in knowing that I'm doing the right thing, it's, you know, it's got the right things in there. So it does beg the question, you've got all this incredible gear. You mentioned that, you know, you don't often get a chance to show it off. So, you know, I guess you mentioned being more of a collector than a reenactor over the years. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that stopped you sort of getting this out and getting it to shows every weekend to show people? Has it been the desire to buy more? Or, you know, is there, is there really a reason that you haven't sort of crossed that line into sort of the reenacting world more? Yeah, I think it's sort of, I don't know, felt like for years and before kind of the internet and mm-hmm. even Facebook mm-hmm. came out, it was very like a bit like a, a dirty secret, really. So sort of like being a, a young kid, most yeah. of my friends are into like computer games, typical kind of teenagers. Mm-hmm. There's me buying this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... It wasn't cool, right? No, it wasn't, yeah, well, yeah. definitely wasn't cool. Like, um, I don't know, to get a girlfriend, you want some like hairs or my kind of army yeah. collection. It's like, okay, pretty good at computer games and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I maybe came a little bit later on in life sort of stuff. I think you kind of found the internet, kind of found um, Facebook and things and mm-hmm. saying, actually, there's quite normal people out there who yeah. like this kind it's of stuff. Thing. So, yeah, and um, I don't know. I've, I've done kind of reenacting, but very kind of limited uh-huh. um, stuff. But I have been kind of criticised when I do rock up to certain shows. It's mm-hmm. all authentic and probably got a yeah. original um, early 42 dated kind of paraberry mm-hmm. on and smocks and trousers and uh, even like down to um, holsters and things yeah. like that. And um, you know, people can't believe that you, yeah. you're wearing that stuff. But it's just stuff that I've got. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that kind of rolling around in a field, you yeah. don't want to be in genuine stuff. Uh-huh. But that, that's all the stuff that yeah. I've got really. So, um, but... Uh, to your point of like, uh, I know with kind of reenactors, um, it's easy to go on to, I don't know, Soldier of Fortune mm-hmm. to get the stuff. But if you need it for a show, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, you, you can't wait 30 years for kind of um, getting a wash roll together. You, yeah. you probably need it um, fairly instantaneous, really. Mm-hmm. So um, there's definitely, I don't know, I can, I can see why people need it and yeah. want to do yeah. it, really. But um, it probably comes back to your own desires for, for doing it, I guess. And, you know, we were at a show on the weekend and there's a group I've mentioned on the podcast before who are, you know, nice enough chaps, but uh, have no desire to mm. own pretty much anything original. You know, it's all about convenience and, and cost, I guess. And, you know, it depends on your, ultimately your, your own justification. Some people just want to play soldiers and some yeah. people want to collect soldiers. 
I guess to that degree um, as well. But I mean, I, you know, you've, you've mentioned being collecting for 40 years. You've on several occasions mentioned that the four, 500 mile round trips, the early morning starts. And, and I know just from, you know, the last few months of, of living closely, uh, living fairly closely to each other and sort of doing the other thing at a weekend that I know that every now and then you, well, most weekends you're away collecting, looking, um, you know, specific sort of market fairs or trade shows mm. or whatever it might be. So, you know, to what extent has, is the sort of collecting and the habit and I guess the, the lifestyle of collecting had an impact on your sort of personal life as well? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's really shaped um, my total life, really. Mm. So, sort of, um, I don't know, there was a dealer a little while ago who said that, Austin, you, you play the game. And sometimes I know there yeah. can be criticism of me, um, I don't know, finding a lot of interesting stuff. Uh-huh. But I am probably the first person in the queue at uh-huh. any show. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if I can get in a day before, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go to that show the day before. Yeah, I, I, I play that game. Mm-hmm. So a car boot sale, I'll mm-hmm. be there before even yeah. the, the dealers are right, setting right. up. If it's uh, any, anything with a chance of finding mm-hmm. something, I, I will be there. Yeah. Um, so I suppose, yes, it has really kind of um, dictated my life. Even on days off, midweek, I, I normally wake up about 4 o'clock, 5 yeah. o'clock because I'm just so trained yeah. to waking that up. I will um, look at eBay, if I could, 24 hours a yeah. day, and yeah. I'll, I'll do it at work, do it in meetings very discreetly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just kind of keeping eyes on there. Yeah. I look to any kind of, you know, reenacting shows, military shows, mm-hmm. car boot sales and things like yeah. that. So yeah. I, if you could see the kind of um, candle I've got on my... Um, laptop it's not for birthdays holidays uh-huh. or uh, nice things it's okay sure. that shows on yep. that shows mm-hmm. on okay i rate which shows are more important so you might have right. two or three shows uh-huh. on at once and i might um do a bit of a, a road trip uh-huh. which could um take in what five six hundred miles to, to get in multiple shows uh-huh. so before covid uh-huh. um it probably wouldn't be unknown for me to probably make um four to five shows um in a weekend and probably starting on a maybe Thursday <laughs> yeah. evening and getting home on a Sunday but I could take in multiple car boot sales yeah. and uh, anything in yeah. between there uh-huh. so uh, leave with an empty car come back with maybe quite a, a full dollars. car of, yeah. of bits and bobs but yeah. I would say yeah it's it's a passion um, so I don't know oh, good job it's a good hobby it could Definitely be kind lifestyle. of worse if it was a I don't know <laughs> worst things to do absolutely and i'm really sort of glad that we've come on to that sort of level of dedication commitment effort drive that it needs to sort of to build up a collection like this because i think it's it's all too commonplace for reenactors and certainly my own friends you know sometimes look at bits i've got in the collection mm-hmm. and you know sort of, sort of think well you've you know how have you got four battle dresses and you've you know you've got 10 of these and six of those and a jeep and you've got this and you've got that and I think people sometimes forget, you know, when you find these things, it's, oh, it's look. I, I never have that look. I never have that look. How do you find this? You hear these questions every single day. I know, I know Dale in our group hears them from the lads every day. How do you mm-hmm. find this stuff? It's not fair. There's nothing where I am. And I've only started recently after sort of, you know, speaking to yourself a lot more and to Dale and learning more about there is a direct correlation between the effort um, and the reward that you come back with and, and the rarity things yeah. that you find and and it's not even just about going to the shows it's how you you are at the shows how you look it's you know you mentioned the, the cutlery it's there might be you know a store with just what looks like normal knives and forks and you've got to troll through for 25 minutes to find that one thing and it's looking underneath things it's it's looking under the table asking what's in the car if it's still getting stuff out and it's you know, if you find one thing, it's asking, do you have anything else similar? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that risk and reward, isn't it? And it isn't just as simple as, you know, typing 
I don't know whether it might be leg banging to eBay and finding it. You know, that isn't that isn't the case with pretty much any of the collection, I'd imagine. No, no, and, and things have definitely got harder, but to get the um rewards there are kind of like um tips that um mm. I could um pass on. Um but I think the main thing is um get there early mm-hmm. to any kind of show. Yep. Um do a very quick walk round. So look for the big items yep. kind of first. Um so that may mean sort of like almost kind of sprinting round to see what's what's big yep. and you may be lucky with uh-huh. the larger items. Then do um, a second pass round, a bit of a, a slower kind yep. of walk round so you can see those kind of medium items. Yep. And if you're there early enough, the, the people are bringing things out all the yep. time. So you probably might see the bigger things still coming out. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you might find some medium stuff. And then as it gets a little later, then really take that time to mm-hmm. slow things down. So I don't know, go methodically store mm-hmm. to store, look yep. on the top, look underneath, <laughs> look behind the, the dealers, <laughs> the amount of things that you think a dealer's got behind them is it's not for sale. Yeah. You'd be quite um, surprised that they probably didn't just picked it up, hadn't thought about selling yeah. it, but were quite happy right, to sell right. things. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's fast pass mm-hmm. to find the big stuff, slow it down, find the medium mm-hmm. stuff, and then really go yeah. slow for that. And then just keep kind of going, uh-huh. go and then um, change the direction. So if you go clockwise around the show, yeah, then go anti-clockwise because yeah. you might see things at different angles. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really surprising. Uh-huh. The, the good stuff that I found from just simply changing my um, perspective of walking around. Yeah. So Turkey glasses as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another good one. Yeah, glasses and a big bag, I think. But, so, uh, I always forget the bag. I end up sort of really struggling uh, to get back to the car. It's a <laughs> successful day. Well, there's many a show I've probably um, snuck in. Um, actually, there's nobody watching there. <laughs> where I've snuck into one of their shows. But <laughs> I normally take uh, big holdalls <laughs> and um, the amount of people that, I don't know, comment on how much I walk. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think... Um, War and Peace, I must have been walking for, I think, 15 hours really? around the, the stalls, wow. continuously walking with wow. bags and, and things like that. But because um, it's, it's snuck in, I couldn't um, easily walk out because yeah. I had to have a pass. So yeah. uh, I remember buying um, like bicycles and mm-hmm. rifles and things like that and just had rucksacks on. Yeah. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. so tired afterwards. But, um, yeah, but it was worth it. Yeah, yeah, definitely rewarding. And then, you know, so you've got so many fantastic items in the collection. People will have seen some stuff on the video or scanning around the room earlier. Mm. Has there ever been any disasters, any boo-boos where you've, you've bought something and you took a risk and it's just completely not paid off or anything you've bought for, for you know, too, too high a price? Or? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things I've probably bought um, over the time. It was that kind of, you've got a split second mm-hmm. to think about buying it or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I probably regretted it. But I think over the years, it's probably been... I could probably count it on one hand of mm-hmm. the things I've probably regretted kind of buying and I can't really think yeah. too much about those items yeah. now that they've kind of um, yeah. destroyed anything. But um, I don't know, if it looks right, kind of smells mm-hmm. right, um, it probably is, is going to be kind of yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. and if, if nobody's selling like yeah. a, a story with it. But I don't know, there's, there's those items of regret. You think I should have bought that. But, um, More often than not. Yes, yeah. If, if we could only go back in time, I think, and, uh, and make those purchases where we thought we were a bit skid that week or <laughs> whatever it might be as well. Um, and it's one of the questions I always get asked by friends, family, you know, people that I talk about collecting, and they sort of see how much we invest into the hobby and into, um, into these items is, you know, we talk about the value of it going up and it being self-funded and a pension fund and all of these sort of things. What do you think will happen to the market in the next sort of 30, 40 years? Because we often touched on people in the hobby sort of getting older and some of the younger generation are perhaps 
taking it up or are being priced out of the market just because they can't literally afford things at their income levels. So what do you think will happen to this sort of stuff in 30 years? Do you think that value will continue to rise or will it sort of crash? Or I don't know. I suppose if you took the kind of First World War kind of model where, I don't know, that over the years things were getting rarer, more difficult to yeah, find. They're yeah. still very um, difficult to find. But I don't know, the the market's kind of stabilised a little mm-hmm. bit with First World War stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not fresh stuff to the marketplace, but yeah. um, I'm always kind of like uh, amazed with, I know, genuine First World War stuff not mm-hmm. being too much. Now, over collecting over kind of 40 years, like, I don't know, during the kind of 70s and 80s, you probably have free mm-hmm. reign of collecting yeah. British army stuff because there weren't many kind of collectors. I remember yeah. everybody going to the shows, it was all like kind of like American and German mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and I think I'd say when Band of Brothers came out, mm-hmm. the kind of collecting market went um, nuts for mm-hmm. like, American stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there's so many people like um, want to get in there. So yeah. even Private Ryan came out, the, the American prices went astronomical. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, um, but... Yeah, and I think with British stuff, it's kind of, I think it, it comes in waves and mm-hmm. kind of um, troughs sort of thing of um, kind of prices. I'd say at the moment, um, it's very popular collecting mm-hmm. British Army stuff, probably more so than uh, I have seen for for many years kind so, of yeah. stuff. So, yeah, it's a lot more competitive. But I don't know if it's kind of a fashion thing as well, mm-hmm. sort of like maybe we yeah. might move on to... No French Army, we might all go yeah, back true, to American true. kind of collecting stuff. Mm-hmm. And we move away from... Uh, British um, collecting sort of thing. So make my life a little yeah. bit easier. Um, but um, I, I don't know in 30 years' time. I think it will be – there won't be as much fresh stuff coming to the marketplace. I think uh-huh. prices will generally hold. Mm-hmm. But like you say, if there's not kind of um, fresh and reenactors, collectors coming in, mm-hmm. yeah. sort of, will it all be as old farts kind yeah. of try, <laughs> just trying to swap things between each other? And um, yeah. I don't know. But you do need that kind of um, fresh kind of mm-hmm. – um, Faces coming in, wanting to collect mm. things and yep. Um, yep. buy on the button sticks that you've yeah, got yeah, twenty yeah. off to um, move things on. Really, so yeah. well, I'm, I'm hoping that probably I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get to sell any of this because it's mm. taken so long. I've, I've said to Sarah that probably maybe a funeral pyre built around me. It's a bit like a Viking <laughs> that all the army stuff just um, piled around me. I'm yeah. sat in a jeep and. Um, mm. It's all set far too. That's maybe the direction. <laughs> I was going to ask is that I always often consider myself. I see it as a pension fund. Mm-hmm. I see it as you know getting to that that ripe old age where mm-hmm. I can sell it off. You know, pay off the mortgage and uh, <laughs> and hopefully just you know sail off into the sunset or whatever it might be. But I often question whether I would I would actually be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe I'll end up being left in the will. Is that you know? And, and is that what you think? Would you do you see it sort of being sold off, or is it just? Uh, um, can you ever see that? Happening? Yeah, I suppose as get older you probably could um collect i know like um my dad's big into um collecting restoring austin sevens so i think he probably did that model of i'll get to retirement age and then i can start selling off austin sevens but none of it so i think it's well hoarded it's well in place so um i I don't know what happens with that kind of collection but uh, if i model myself on him then um, (laughs) this is going to the grave definitely i guess you never know until you get to that that point really (laughs) no and um yeah if you suddenly need to get an injection of cash to pay off a house when you're 80 then um this will be the um right way to go really but um it's it's mainly all documented the stuff that I've kind of paid for it mm-hmm. over the years, really. So um, yeah. I told Sarah if something happens to me, then uh, cl- get yourself down to uh-huh. maybe War and Peace and get a big stall Absolutely. and uh, see how yeah. you go. Yeah. Enjoy yourself a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she will. <laughs> for sure. And are there any little sort of, 
you know, what, what's what's next on the list for you in terms of collections? Is there anything that eludes you that's on your sort of collecting bucket list? Yeah, um, the main thing I want to get hold of at the moment is um, a van. So it's not a military van, but it's just a modern van so that I can go to more shows mm-hmm. and I can buy larger, more interesting um, things. Like so I often go to, to them. I've got just a normal kind of Volvo about the size of a Golf. Uh-huh. And um, I'll normally try and get as much as I can in uh-huh. there. Nice inflatable roof yeah. rack to go on top just to load a little bit more. But I don't know, you do see some nice stuff. You think, actually, I've got the room to kind of bring it home, but just yeah. nothing to do. So the van would really might make my day. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of finishing off certain parts mm-hmm. of collections, yeah. certain parts of uniforms. I think I'm very strict when it comes to buying uniforms and um, stuff like that. I'll only buy it for needs to fit me. I won't mm-hmm. buy it to, if it's, um, I don't know, a, a minuscule yeah. size. I don't know why I've done that over the years. I think it was always that temptation of, if I'm asked to do some reenacting, mm-hmm. I've got genuine stuff I could yeah. wear, as mm-hmm. opposed to having a minuscule pair of trousers, maybe a nice rare pair of trousers. So every bit of uniform I've bought will fit yeah. me. So I suppose that's made it hard on myself all these years. I've turned some lovely stuff down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wish I was personally smaller <laughs> with a smaller waist. I could uh, fit into yeah, some yeah. awesome stuff and collect some awesome stuff. But um, yeah, I think um, that's about it. Great. And I was going to ask, you know, what, what does the future hold for, for the collection? It's, it's getting to a stage yeah. you now where it's, it's, it's museum quality. And I think, you know, we had to do this episode just to get out there and to show people what was there. And I think there'll be, there'll be hundreds of people, you know, praying that you sort of start getting to some of these shows as, you know, showing that collection off, be it as a reenactor or just as a little bit of sort of display piece. So could you see yourself in the future doing, dipping your toes a little bit more and sort of showing this kit off at shows? Yeah, yeah, de- like- definitely. I maybe not seeing myself as uh, running around um, a field with kind of explosions <laughs> of machine guns. No, I think probably a little bit too old with that in, in grey, yeah. but um, yeah, I've heard some of the other kind of podcasts <laughs> as you get a little bit older, what you portray. Uh-huh. But yeah, I'd love to kind of, get this this out and things mm-hmm. like that maybe yeah. join you guys and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I know Dale's been trying to get us to part with some money to join the, the, the group but <laughs> I think it's probably going out with I don't know a group of people that <laughs> this this um, could be kind of showed off obviously somebody else will keep an eye on things um, yeah oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's knowing what to kind of haul out and drag out really yeah but. yeah definitely I think it, it's finding I think one of the things I was finding people that you know maybe not quite find themselves with a group or in a reactive world is finding like-minded people that we'll do a similar thing. You know, I found myself in various group activities and some groups of, you know, the guys want to, they want to do drill all day and, and, you know, run around doing private battles and public battles and bang bangs and all this sort of stuff. And, and other people, which is probably more where I found myself and a lot of our group members over the last couple of years, which is much more, you know, let's just take on our favorite things that work for a regiment or a unit, put it on display for the public, mm. tell the public about it and just sit and almost a show and tell with each other, <laughs> have a coffee, you know, have a bacon bun in the morning, have a couple of beers on a night and just, enjoy being sat in the field surrounded by our kids so I guess there's a lot of different cultures within different groups in the world just finding something that matches you know your own sort of I guess uh, just happiness what brings you happiness you know yes, for me yes. it's sort of a case of I've got this lovely nice stuff would I want to get it muddy when we're on the field usually not this <laughs> is, the, uh, is the answer to that definitely yeah. but I think um, I don't know where I've taken this kind of um, collection kind of next I think it's just looking continuously looking to mm-hmm. find that slightly nicer piece and mm-hmm. I've already got to then um, yeah it allows me to kind of do something um, slightly better and um, make it look better for, from a, a collection perspective mm-hmm. I'd like to branch out a little bit more into kind of 
vehicles and things like oh, that. So yeah. kind of mother-in-law's got um, a big garage. Um, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it could be probably filled with things. Um, so I don't know. Um, obviously having the Jeep, fantastic. Yeah. It's probably something a little bit more lighted armoured, maybe dingo cool. or something like that. Yeah, would that, be, sounds um, that sounds kind good. Kind of definitely on the, the radar. Yeah. Motorbike would be fantastic. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think they come with a, another level of commitment and collecting and things like that. So, But again, I think research is... Mm-hmm. The big thing to kind of do there because I don't want to be stung with yeah, buying yeah, a definitely. vehicle that's mm-hmm. I don't know ninety percent yeah I don't know missing some other uh, you can absolutely. imagine yeah bit of a bit of a different kettle of fish I think the vehicles aren't they I mean I know certainly purchasing the Jeep was sort of no idea and had to mm. seek some very very solid advice from others out there to make sure you know that I was on the right track sort of thing but yeah maybe motorbike would be good and uh, I'm hoping to get a BSA myself oh, for the next okay. yeah. next. 12 to 18 months I would say or something like that so maybe we could have uh, motorbike trips as well as jeep trips in the <laughs> not too distant future as well brilliant good stuff well thanks everybody for, for listening and watching um, I do recommend you all to rewind back to the beginning and watch those couple of minutes of, of Austin's collection around the room um, we will hopefully do an episode 2 at some point because there's just too much to, to sort of show so we'll do another yeah. 2 some of the more I guess exotic and, uh, yeah this is just a teaser yes, just a teaser yeah. and some of the more sort of desirable Hollywood Gucci pieces of the collection mm. I think in the future as well but for now thank you very much for, for listening thank you to Austin for getting yeah, out of the collection showing us around the, uh, the collection and we'll see you all again soon